Welcome to Organic Sexuality, where we explore the restoration of pleasure, the reclamation of sexual sovereignty, and the realization of our embodied sexual nature. An invitation to honor the pleasures of your body by embodying the pleasures of your nature. I'm your host, Rahi Chan. I'm a certified somatic sex educator, a sexological body worker, and creator of somatic sexual wholeness. Before introducing this week's guests, I'd like to share a new online offering. The Three Keys to Genital Dearmoring for Reclaiming and Expanding Pleasure. How to bring safety within the nervous system, reclaim your body's authentic sovereignty, and empower your sexual autonomy. For more details, you can click the link to the course in the podcast description or go to somaticsexualwholeness.mykajabi.com. In this episode, we explore genital armoring, how unconscious guarding patterns can show up as pain, numbness, discomfort, or a lack of sensation in the genitalia. How much of our adult pelvic armor forms during our childhood years, and what's required to release this safely and effectively for restored pleasure and wholeness. At the end of the episode, Suzanne leads us through a somatic exercise for waking up and engaging previously disconnected tissue from within the genitalia and pelvis. I am thrilled today to be inviting Suzanne Ruskard, um, who I just admire and appreciate so much in our world. Um, She has such a, uh, both a a depth and a breadth of um, experiences that address the whole body and the whole person. So a little background about Suzanne. Um, She is a psychotherapist, a body-based trauma uh, therapist, a sexologist specializing in sexual abuse. Um, She's also a family and couples therapist, an inter-spiritual trainer, and uh, has been a midwife for 23 years. And so um, she has synthesized and synergized her decades of experience into her body of work called the Gaia Method, um, which is so holistic and complete. And it's so beautiful in the ways the Gaia Method holds that sacred space for inviting us to return to our essence. Um, Suzanne, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting. <laughs> yes, yes. So, Suzanne, given um, your the depth of your experiences in both somatic trauma-based therapies uh, uh, as a sexologist, as a psychotherapist, um, there's so much we can cover, but I really, I'd like to focus on um, specifically de-armoring and specifically genital de-armoring. So to start off, I would love to ask you, Suzanne, how your path led you to your experiences in holding space for genital de-armoring. 
Well, it's, it started when I was a midwife with me often experiencing that pregnant women, birthing women clearly gave signs, body signs, or even uh, came to memories of sexual abuse. And I knew nothing of it. I didn't know how to hold space for it. And it was not part of uh, the medical training uh, within uh, obstetrics. Um, so I decided that I needed to know more about that because I, I met a lot of women. Uh, we're not talking a few percentages. We're talking somewhere between 25, 45% of all the women I would get in, in contact with would actually display symptoms or behavior that, that, um, equals that there is some sort of sexual abuse or, or incest or maybe even rape that, that is hidden in their system or they haven't shared it maybe with us. Some of them don't know. So I decided to become a sexologist and specialized then in sexual abuse, incest, rape because of me meeting them, uh, in the hospitals and really not knowing how do you, um, work with 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 them once they are you know pregnant and giving birth and why do they react so strongly uh to their sexual abuse when they're in this um state of life so that was sort of my my way into to starting to discover this and then uh i ended up uh becoming quite a cognitive sexologist mm. um having a lot of people refer to me uh from others um and uh, some of the ones that I would get referred to would be uh, to me would be someone that had been in in therapy for like twenty five years, and they would come to me and they would speak about their their story like they were talking about laundry. You know, mm -hmm. they were completely unaffected, and I was like, "There's nothing I can do with these people." And uh, at that time in my life, I've been in my spare time following a tantric and a shamanic path where you do a lot of let's call it alternative ways of, of working, at least uh, viewed from a more normal cognitive uh, medical system. So I had one uh, client especially that was, say, let's call it my, my point of no return uh, mm. that came to me and she was talking about really, really severe sexual abuse throughout her whole childhood like it was nothing. And, uh, and she'd been in therapy for so many years. I was like, I can't do anything with her. And I just sensed that her body was screaming for help. Mm -hmm. So I asked her, okay, you seem to have spoken enough about this. Has anyone ever addressed your body? And then she completely broke down and said, I just heard the biggest, yes, finally inside of me. So I told her that we can do experimental treatment that I normally don't do in my professional life. But I'm used to working with this in my own communities. And there we, we have really good results with working with various kinds of sexual trauma, sexual numbness, um, disconnectedness, whatever it is, uh, through what you would call genital dearmoring. And um, that then led to her saying, yes, please, I would love to have a session. So she came for a session and this woman was married for 17 years already. And she was sexually active with her husband, but she was completely numb, meaning that she felt nothing in her genitals when she would have intercourse. What she felt and enjoyed about being sexual with her partner was the heart connection, the love she could feel that they were sharing, and the joy and the happiness that she saw in him because it, she allowed him to 
you know, share her body. So after a week of the first session, she called me and she said, Suzanne, did you know that it feels good to have a penis inside of you? Hmm. And I told her, yeah, I do know. Hmm. And she was like, can I have the next session? So she got the next session. And after her second session, she called me and said, my partner thinks I've had an orgasm. What do you think? So she described it and said, yeah, it does sound like that could have been an orgasm. And within three months, all the women that was in her self-help group for incest started calling me and say, hey, you've been working with our friend and, you know, could you work with me too? And then gradually that was my way into it. But in the beginning, I truly only worked with sexual uh, trauma Mm -hmm. and sexual dearmoring. And then later on, uh, I expanded that because trauma is trauma when it comes to the body. So you can have things stored in your genitals, even though it's not a sexual trauma. It's another type of blockage that sits in that area of the body. But my way into it was through my my <clears throat> uh, being specialized within um, sexual abuse. And then gradually people that weren't sexually abused started calling me and say, hey, we hear about your work. I'm not sexually abused, but I have this problem. Do you think you could work with me? And everybody got the same song. It's going to be experimental. I can't promise you anything. It's sort of out of, outside the system and you have to be aware. I don't promise you anything. But if you're willing to, to explore, then I'm willing to, to do this with you. And yeah, and then over 10 years, it developed into becoming the Gaia method gradually. Mm. So that's mm. sort of my way in. That's so beautiful. I love that. Um, so... Um, I want to I want to take a moment to really explain a little bit about how armoring can form in the pelvis and the genitalia really anywhere in the body and going back to your first experimental client 17 years in a marriage um that after that one session um I think you shared with me before that she was someone who had a history of of sexual violation severely yeah. and I I want to um I want to touch on the degrees to which our tissues hold on to unintegrated emotions um, and how restoring sensation in the tissues is like a gateway for releasing those past um, unintegrated emotions and and trauma. Mm. I mean, very often people think of trauma as being a mental thing. And that's a very, very big misunderstanding because trauma is something that happens to the body and the mind might remember it, but it might not, but your body always remember it. So, so that means that the trauma is actually a physical experience in the body that will sit as you can call it memory residues that is sitting in the actual tissue, in your nervous pathways, in the cells. And typically when, when we experience trauma, and I really mean trauma in a very broad sense, because trauma can be these one-time big incidents where it's very big and, and extreme what happens to you, but that is not the type of trauma you'll find the most of. The most of the trauma we find in, in the body is what you could call de- developmental trauma, meaning that that's all the times throughout your, your childhood when you grew up, when you were not met, seen, treated, respected, uh, handled the way you actually needed it. 
and where you again and again basically had to uh, defragmentize part of yourself by closing elements down of yourself. And part of that can then result in numbness in the tissue because you completely disconnected to this area of the tissue. The tissue is still sensing, but the signaling to your conscious mind and your brain about what's happening is not there anymore. So it's a disconnect inside the system. It's not really because the nervous system is broken. It's just not communicating with you anymore so you can pick it up. Or it could be the other way where the body gets hypersensitive, where it's so alert to not have this happen again that it, the tiniest little thing will then be sending a signal to your brain like, oh, danger, danger, it's painful, you're damaging yourself. So even the slightest little touch can feel like people are stabbing you or, or pushing really hard and it, it uh, creates pain. That is not in proportion to the kind of action or touch that you were actually just exposed to. Mm-hmm. And, and there are so many things that can add to trauma in the body and this uh, body armor. And one of the things is, like I said, when you're not treated the way you need it to, or if you have one of these extreme one-time incidents, that could be a severe traffic accident. It could be, you know, um, you had earthquake, big time earthquake, you know, things that, tsunamis, things where you're like, okay, this is violent, this is big, and it's, typically out of your control it's happening but it's not something that keeps repeating whereas if you're growing up in a let's say dysfunctional family or just a family that don't get you don't see you for who you are Mm -hmm. then you will have the same thing repeated again and again and again so even if the actual thing that has happened to you seems like "Ah, it's just a little thing yeah, but it's little thing times a thousand times ten thousand, and that means it it builds gradually to not being this little thing anymore. Hmm. And so, elements of what blocks inside your system is from what's happened to you done by others. Hmm. But then there's the type of body armor that is created by our own way of treating ourselves such as not respecting our boundaries, Mm -hmm. uh, pleasing others even if we cross our boundaries because we're afraid of not belonging to the group, not being accepted, being, you know. So so we do a lot of things ourselves as well that creates armor. Mm -hmm. Uh, A classic one for women in when we talk about uh, genital armor is uh, when you are even in a loving relationship with a partner you love dearly, maybe he feels like having intercourse a little more often than you do. And you notice, oh, it's two weeks ago and he's starting to be like a little, you know, grumpy and you sense, okay, he's, 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 he wants to go there, but basically you don't really want to go there. And maybe you notice when he gets a little edgy, he starts also being annoyed with the kids easier and you're like, oh, I don't want it to harm them. And the woman might be like, yeah, and, you know, I do enjoy it once we start. It's just this starting and I can't get myself to it. But, you know, once we start, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes down the road, I'm just as much into it as him. And then you as a woman decide to interact and maybe be penetrated uh, with the penis inside at a moment where your body is actually still saying, no, 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 I'm not there. Mm. 
So no partner has been violating you. You've been inviting it in out of a lot of um, taking care of other people's needs and, and basically putting yourself and your own need lower to, you know, I want to, I, I love him. I want to show him, you know, you're important. So, you know, I'll get there. And these, these kind of behaviors are, I think most women that are in longer relationships, they, they have experienced this at least once where they weren't really there, but then, uh, okay, you know, I'll get myself there. But these type of, of actions that we do ourselves, they can actually create armor as well. And can sure. create pain mm-hmm. or numbness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of great, great things that you shared here. I, I feel like what I'm hearing is every little contraction within the body and the body's tissue really accumulates and adds up and can start to create that armor really anywhere in the body. But the... Um, you know, our genitalia is so sensitive and such a vulnerable part of our body that um, the armor that can build within the genitalia for a woman or a man um, it doesn't necessarily have to do with just a uh, violent penetration, a, a, a breach of boundaries. It can happen within loving relationships with each um, contraction or resistance that is overrun by the body's owner, by just succumbing or wanting to please. Um, and, and by the way, this can happen within men too, whose mm-hmm. libido is less than their partner and they feel obligated or forced to um, engage. And then they start feeling disconnected from their own genitalia. And, and then there's, there's another aspect to it. <clears throat> and that is once you start working with sexual dearmoring, my estimate is that with everybody I work with, with sexual uh, de-armoring, 80% of what we are actually healing and dealing with is early childhood things. It's from before the age of seven. It's often when they're two, three, four, five years old. And I wasn't good enough. I wasn't the, the, the good boy, the good girl. I was you know, too slow, too much, too little, um, not lovable. Many of these negative self-voices that many of us have deep within, even though we might try not to let people know we have them, but that negative self-voice very often is actually located physically within the genital region or the pelvis region. And I I can't say if it's true, but there's a Norwegian sexologist and, and psychologist that worked a lot with children, and um, he did some research that actually showed that by the age of seven, uh, he did research on children, by the age of seven, a lot of children already had very uh, intense um, chronic tension within their genital and pelvic region that was stemming from these small things with uh, dysfunctional things in the family, but very much with this, I'm not good enough, you know, I'm not sweet enough, I'm too much, or nobody loves me. Uh, so so those are often things that when we start working with the genital dearmoring, even if, if, if the client came to you because they want to work with their sexuality, mm-hmm. it's not rare that it turns out that that thing in their sexuality 
actually stems all the way back to this little inner child not feeling, you know, loved or good enough or appreciated or or maybe simply feels like I'm too much or, or I'm not entitled for anything, not worthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that so, makes... So they, they're definitely there. So it's, it's, it, it's a misconception, again, if we think that sexual dearmoring equals we're going to work with sexual issues. We can be working with deep systemic low uh, self-worth issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I find that actually uh, so many, just as you're saying, Suzanne, so many of the sexual issues that clients come in with are actually kind of life issues. And as you say, that can be threaded back all the way to childhood and the early formation of one's sense of self-worth and identity. Mm-hmm. It makes so much sense to me that the Norwegian sexologist discovered this because um you know, that sense of belonging we feel in that sense of security within the pelvis. And of course, that's where the psoas muscle is as well. Um, as well as, you know, who knows, um, you know, what gets passed down uh, from our parents through first contact with our genitalia and potty training and our first exposure to playing with our genitals or self-pleasuring and discovering our relationship with that important part of our body. Yeah, a lot of shaming comes from there. And and sometimes the shaming is, you know, that, that you were told by words. Um, for a lot, it, it can even happen much, much earlier. Um, imagine you're a tiny little baby and you have a diaper on 24-7. And that diaper never comes off unless you need to be changed because you either did number one or number two. And for a child that wants to touch themselves and, oh, it's just nice to get the hands down, if you're a little baby and finally the day comes up and I want to have my hands down here and your mom or your dad is changing you for number two, so the parent will be like, no, don't do that, don't touch. But you are not aware of number two being all over the place and if you put your hands down there, you're going to get messy. So if you're putting, as a little child, your hands towards your genital, because I just want to touch, it feels like it's calling me. And now you get this very strong no. So you actually get a shock saying hands do not belong there. Hmm. Uh, and, and you might even get this feeling of I'm, I'm bad, I'm wrong because I wanted to do this. So, so even that can become uh, part of this feeling shame about that area. And, and it, it stems from being diaper changed. And your parents not realizing that that them saying no because they were afraid of the little one getting, you know, feces all over their hands, that actually when a child is coming from a complete different um, intent and doesn't know anything, then then that's what is going to be affected in there. So it, it, yeah. it goes really deep. What we it goes do really deep. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, it, it makes me sad just... Uh, hearing that because just recognizing how the pure innocence of a child and particularly a child's exploration and love of their sensations can get shamed and uh, punished. Um, And again, there's that contraction within the nervous system, uh, not only of the anger, but of, you know, the threat of love being taken away by my caretaker and how that Um, leads into our adolescent behavior and can lead into our adult behavior. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I want to come back to the genital de-armoring. And 
really because it is they are um, unintegrated emotions that live in our tissues. And in your journey holding space for genital dearmoring, um, the role and you know it's all over the Gaia method, just the role of the unconditional presence. And inviting the story of the body to be told for that unintegrated emotion to release, how important that is in all dearmoring. I mean, I know you distinguish your dearmoring as soft from kind of standard dearmoring. And I would love to hear how, just how you discovered um, that unconditional presence and the soft dearmoring is, is far more effective. I think, again, that, that part stems back to being a midwife. Uh, whenever you work as a midwife and things aren't uh, working right, and you, know, you, you learn to have hands that are present, hands that are there, hands that are sort of leaning in until the body lets it in. So, so part of that already was in my system from, from how we work. Uh, but also uh, because for me it makes no sense that when when you have armor in your body, you have armor because there were some needs or a boundary that was overstepped, meaning something was pushed too far inside of you. So to me, it's never made any sense at all that you would then use a technique of pushing too far to try to heal something that was pushed too far. Mm-hmm. Because for me, that equals breaking down and you can break down armor, but that has a lot of issues. Uh, that sometimes uh, can surprise people afterwards. With some, nothing happens other than it broke it down and it was very painful and left them yellow, green, black, and blue. Um, but with others, they actually get re-traumatized severely. So for me, it's also a, a question of whenever you want to heal trauma or heal uh, any unresolved uh, aspect of a person, that aspect is still in there, but that aspect is in hiding. Because I'm not welcome. I'm not allowed to be here. I'm not, I'm not invited to the table yet. So for me, it's very important that the whole approach is an approach of respect and inviting and knowing that a body holds immense wisdom. Like our brain thinks it's wise, not at all compared to a body. So, so it's also about trusting that if we are inviting something and it chooses not to come forward today, there's a good reason. And that reason can then be that this person needs to develop some skills first before he or she is ready to actually look at this problem or this history. Or it could be that I have to look inward and realize that whatever is hidden in that emotion inside this person, I as a, as a practitioner actually cannot be with that emotion myself and then I cannot hold space for another one welcoming that emotion and and the wisdom of a client will be able to tune into that that oh this person won't be able to handle my anger or my resent or my uh, you know nasty words if that's what needs to come out so so it's it's very much about this really inviting, accepting, welcoming that everything is welcome, nothing is wrong, and that all aspects and all parts of people need to be allowed to be part of the whole. It doesn't mean that a, a part needs to take over the whole, but it needs to be part of the whole so that all these fragmented parts uh, that we have had to reject 
can come back in again. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, and the soft touch, it allows the body and the nervous system to not have to go into self-defense against me. But if I start pushing really hard and I push beyond the, the pain threshold of a person, that body is going to, um, when we go into the primitive uh, systems of fight, flight, and freeze, those will get activated if I push too hard because now that body will start to look at, wow, this, this person is attacking me. This person is a threat. So what do I need to do? Oh, I need to tense up even more to withstand that pressure. And that means that, you know, whatever needs to come from within is not going to reach the surface because now the body is busy basically defending itself. And then I would have to push harder and harder. And at some point we might break it down. But when we don't do that, it sometimes can take with some a little longer in the beginning. Because the body gets almost, if it's used to a harder handling, it almost gets a little confused like, oh, is she just going to be patient? Is she just going to sit there and wait? Is she, nah, she can't be that loving because all the ones in my memory from my past, they would always, when I weren't fast enough, get angry with me. So sometimes the body will also, in the beginning, when you show it this soft, very inviting way, almost test your patience as a practitioner like can you really stay loving and present still even if i don't deliver and when the body realized that oh actually i'm i'm still being accepted my speed is being accepted then suddenly the body actually dares stepping into co-creating with you instead of being done to so it becomes a co-creation between this holding the inviting space uh, with with lots of love and compassion and you know all all those emotions that were absent when the fragmentation inside the person was created that's basically what we're sort of providing so that it can come forward and come into a, a present healing of receiving what was lacking in the past yes yes um yeah, what I'm hearing is really the importance and necessity of meeting the tissues and the nervous system where the tissues and nervous system feel ready and safe to be met because we are reversing that reflexive self-defense response again within the tissues and the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And the important I I always I I often view um you know, understanding like what age a significant trauma happened. I feel like the tissue is that age, you know, feeling stuck or yeah, still reliving that story. And so if it is a three-year-old, a three-year-old will test the adults around them to make sure that they're absolutely safe. And also when you activate uh, the tissue or for instance, a, a, a wounding that was placed in the body when the person is three, very often the, the person can go into a regression at that time and their capacity and the ability of tools they can use within their own system equals the age of a three-year-old. So that's also why sometimes you might even ask the client, how old do you feel right now? And they themselves would be like, it's weird, I feel like I'm three years old. Okay, that's tissue telling you how, how old were you actually when this freeze came into your system. And and then you want to meet it according to the age. Yes. Yeah. yeah so we're we're meeting it and um, rewriting the story 
for that three-year-old within the three-year-old's body, now in the body of an adult, that um, it, it, it can be safe, it can be seen, its voice can be heard, and it's safe to feel its natural sensations again. Um, Suzanne, I, I want to actually touch upon, <clears throat> excuse me, something you shared earlier about, you know, as a midwife, how you recognize the high percentage of trauma that was um, with the, stored within the body of your clients. And um, I mean, given that, given your background as a psychotherapist, sexologist, and a midwife, you're kind of the perfect person to ask this. You know, um, when those unintegrated traumatic experiences are still held within the pelvis of a pregnant woman, um, the way that those that, that those experiences and memories can be activated during the pregnancy, I'm guessing, especially the third tr- trimester and the birthing itself, when those tissues are uh, being touched into in a way that may not have occurred since a violation or a past trauma. Um, yeah, I the, the degree to the which that happens or can happen. I mean, the reason it can happen is because anytime you have a an unwanted experience, let's call it that instead of trauma, but an unwanted experience that your body has memorized in a way where your body is like, I never want to experience this again, then your body has also created triggers, memory triggers. And that means anything in, in the future, in the present moment that reminds you of these triggers will be enough to activate that old wound. And pregnancy and childbirth holds a lot of triggers that equals the trigger and and the situation actually that you were in, especially if you have sexual trauma, which means that um, being pregnant, it can be that, you know, there's something moving around inside your body and it's out of your control. And sometimes, you know, when you're in the third trimester, the baby can be kicking all over and you're tired. You just, oh, be quiet because, you know, my, my belly is like, I need a break, but you can't get the break. So that in itself can be this feeling of, I wanted to get out, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, in childbirth, it has to do with, especially when, when the head is born, the crowning of the head. Uh, that type of pain but in a reverse direction, uh, is similar to the pain a child would experience if an adult is penetrating them. So the pain has so much resemblance to that memory of how the pain uh, felt that it can trigger it. And even breastfeeding can trigger as well because, again, breastfeeding, you don't own your own body. You are on call whenever it fits the baby. Mm-hmm. And if you were abused, then you were on call whenever it fitted your abuser. So, so you can have a, you have a lot of situations that are triggers, which also means that you have a lot of, um, of women that actually don't even know they have had abuse until the trigger gets activated and the memory comes back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I, I only had the, the one client I had came in, I think she was at 38 weeks, so she was safe to work on, mm-hmm. but she was very intentional about wanting to release whatever emotions were within her, her vaginal canal before the birth. Yeah. Um, and she had a big baby and she feels like it really, really helped. Yeah. 
This this brings us to Tova. I want to ask you about Tova. Mm-hmm. So uh, for our listeners, so Tova uh, gave me permission to reference this story in the um, dearmoring training uh, in Angsbaka, Sweden. Um, Tova went through an experience where, uh, through Suzanne's uh, support and guidance, was able to complete an energetic interruption within her body during her birth giving when there was an unintentional C-section. Um, Tova's great. She's healthy. She's a doula now, and her baby is adorable, super healthy. But she had this um, stuck energy, and I wanted to invite Suzanne to describe um, what happens when there is an unintended C-section that occurs especially when the the parents are planning for natural childbirth and um, what you did to facilitate the release of that energy. I found it fascinating. When, when you, like you say, when you have the intention of giving natural childbirth and you then, for whatever reason, ends up with a, a C-section or even the forceps or the vacuum extraction where it's not natural anymore, uh, there is a, for many women, especially this sensation or feeling afterwards of I was a failure. I failed on something so fundamental for any woman to do, uh, something I should have been able to. And for some women, it actually means that they get sort of a hate relationship to their body, almost like their body deceived them. You didn't do what we were supposed to do. And at other times, it can play into if you already have a feeling like, you know, I'm never good at anything. And now you also fail your childbirth. So you can have this um, deep sense of, of not being a real woman because you couldn't manage what a real woman should have been able to. And, and that can sit as a very deep wounding. And it's often a deep wounding that actually affects the connection between the child and the mother. Even if on a physical level, the mother is doing all the right things with the child, you will often experience that there's something energetically between the child and mother that is, is not really there. And sometimes you can even experience that these children prefer their daddy over their mother even though the mother was breastfeeding, but I still prefer my daddy, you know. And so so, so there, there is something that gets interrupted somehow. And when you do sexual dearmoring, uh, if there is any kind of birth trauma, whether it was the C-section or the forceps instead of, or, or the vacuum extraction instead of natural birth, some women will experience that when we touch upon different areas of the inside tissue, and especially when we touch around the cervix, that suddenly they they are, you know, moved back to the sensation of, of the childbirth. Like they feel like they have contractions or they feel like, oh, it's almost like there's a child that, you know, should come out. And in that situation, you can go into an energetic birth, rebirthing, as I call it, but it's an energetic one. But it's an energetic one that is done in connection with the woman's sensation in her physical tissue. And what kind of images, what kind of sensations, what kind of thoughts and emotions that bring up in her system. So for the woman who who enters this sensation of a rebirthing is starting energetically, for her it truly feels like there's contraction, there's a baby. With her mind, she knows that's not the fact, but this is how it feels in her body. 
And in that uh, position, we can simply go into childbirth, have her start pushing, have her, you know, grab your legs, pull them up. You know, if, if there's an extra helper, have them support her, you know, lift up. And have her push. And as the practitioner, what you do is that you give just a little bit of resistance against the cervix so that she has something to push against. Mm. And at some point, she will feel like, whoa, it's crowning, it's coming out. And, and it will really feel like her. And you will typically see these mothers spontaneously take their hands down and, and you know, literally not do like this, but grab this invisible child put it on their belly and really hold it like there is something here and and typically go into crying, relief, joy that totally looks like if you see a beautiful movie of natural childbirth where the child comes out, you know, and the mother just, you know, blissfully cry from relief and happiness and you can often see that coming. And then right after that, sometimes then the deep grief from the birth that they've been carrying comes comes as well, mm. and and the very interesting part is that I've I've been doing these kind of rebirths so many times I don't know how often anymore, but with the ones where there have been some disconnection to their child, it's never been you know they have a good connection, but it's never been you know what they might sometimes the mothers know from other children they have. There's there's an element lacking. And, and all of those that I've known that had that issue, when they come home and they connect with the child, immediately it's like it was never there. And that's even been when the children has been five years old, 11 years old, 14 years old, you know, 14-year-old teenager that just constantly slams the door in the face of mother and, you know, you just... Mm. And then they come home after a rebirth like that, and suddenly the teenager doesn't slam the door and speaks nicely and come and sit down and say, hey, you want to hear what I did in school today? And the mother's like, what? Where they share with me, I don't know what happened, but something in our energetic interconnection has completely switched. Mm -hmm. So it's quite mm -hmm. magical. I don't understand myself what's going on. Um, I know about, um, oh, what's it called? Um, family constellations, constel family constellations. Yeah. and and this is what it reminds me of the same kind yes. of effect that you hear from family constellations uh, mm -hmm. and, and what I've noticed also when I do this rebirthing is that it can only be done uh, if if the woman actually senses it but it can be invited so if I have women that know they have birth trauma then when we start working internally, and especially when I'm addressing uh, the cervix and working around the cervix, at some point, then I will be holding the cervix and I will be asking them, could you please start pushing? I'll say, push down. And then we see, and very often, if they have an intention of going there and the body actually wants to go there, then just as often by doing this invitation, we will experience that it does start happening, even though it didn't uh, open up by itself. But at mm -hmm. some points, uh, the body also says, uh-uh, it's not going to mm -hmm. happen. But mm -hmm. uh, So sometimes we invite it to see is, is the body w willing or not. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. But it is you know, very beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was so beautiful. And, um, you know, Tova gave me a ride back to Stockholm after that training, and she was just feeling so different in her body. Uh, and as you know, her, her relationship with her daughter, who was, I think, about two at the time, had mm -hmm. changed. Yeah. Um, you know, what strikes me in, in, in 
what strikes me is recognizing once again, when there is an, an interruption of the organic life force, how the organic life force wants to expand in the, in the body. So the cervix is like preparing for nine months or maybe even longer to, you know, embody this sacred, you know, past the sacred birthing. Mm -hmm. And so it makes so much sense to me that when it's, you know, for medical, for whatever reasons, the C-section occurs, the cervix is still in a yearning kind of incomplete stage. And that it, that those memories or that, that sensation uh, would still be held there in the tissues. I mean, the, the whole body is preparing for birth. The, the many last months of the pregnancy, getting everything looser, softer, more ready to be able to expand and dissolve. And so definitely the body is preparing itself for this is the road we're supposed to go down. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. something is interrupted uh, on a bodily level, uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. At least that's my take on it. Yeah, you know, I want to just comment on um, on, on cerv- cervical dearmoring for a moment mm. because I find that for for most of my clients, the the cervix is quite armored when when it's first made contact with because I think most women, you know, certainly are penetrated before their bodies are ready, you know, during their adolescence, and then all of the you know medical procedures that cervixes have to endure. Um, but then within you know one session, it can really dearmor quite quickly. And sensations can return. And then there's this whole, uh, you know, almost like a, a part of their body they weren't connected to can, can mm. reconnect. Yeah. I, I think there's another element to it. And that is, I mean, the cervix is this hidden organ. Mm. You, it's not like a man where you, you sort of have to go pee and you have sort of a natural access physically to, to your genital, where this part of the woman's body is so hidden up there and, Definitely many countries, many religions do not teach women much about what they look like inside. So so for many women, they're not even aware that, that this body part exists, which means that even on an emotional and mental level, you're not connected to it. it it's like this non-existing part in there. Mm-hmm. And then for a lot of women, the only connection they have to it is that they have been uh, having intercourse in uh, positions where there's been a bit too much, let's call it banging, straight directly on the cervix, which has been painful depending on where their cycle is. So they also have this like, ooh, there's something in there that can hurt. And that means they don't necessarily get this um, sensation that there's anything positive about the cervix because nobody ever taught them and they Mm -hmm. didn't get to connect themselves with it. So I feel that many women, when we start working with sexual dearmoring, they're actually on a discovery path of just starting to get a relationship with their cervix to realize that this cervix is is a magical gateway to um, immense types of orgasms and experiences that far, far oversee, uh, for instance, a clitoral orgasm. Um, so, so that's also part of it to, to even just embody that body part and realize, whoa, there's a body part here that, that can do things and actually can increase, uh, the pleasure I, as a woman can, can experience when I uh, do choose to be sexual or intimate, whether it's with yourself or, or a partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm always amazed because I feel like it's, you know, amongst the most important aspects of a woman's uh, sexual anatomy, as well as, uh, you know, as you had mentioned, the vagus nerve goes all the way down to the cervix. So, 
you know, the, the quality of orgasm is going to be full body, open the heart. It's going to be so other, otherworldly. And yet I feel like it, we're in a, in a kind of stage where people are just discovering or just, you know, becoming educated about the, um, the sacredness of their cervix. Definitely. But you, you can say that in general around uh, female genitals. I mean, it's only, what, 10 or 15 years ago that it was discovered, you know, the size of the clitoris and the shape of the clitoris. Before that, you know, we didn't know anything about that. So there's been a tendency to not really, from a medical point of view, having much interest uh, in the female genitals. And then also because most of the medical knowledge you had on female genitals was what doctors could discover from doing, um, what's it called, um, autopsies on corpses. Yes. And corpses mm. do not move respond to and pleasure. respond and open right. up and flower and close. And so, mm. so a lot of the knowledge was based on not knowing how this live organ actually can can really move a lot and, and move down and pull itself mm-hmm. back up and you know almost have a life of its own yes um, yes so so those things are you know really only in the last one two decades that that this is starting to come up at least in the western world because you can still find a lot of information if you go more toward the tantric asian old uh, knowledge about uh, well even the kadushka um, Native American, they seem to know much more about sexuality than, than let's call it the typical Western world. We're sure. only sort of catching up slowly now to, to the sacredness and, and yeah, the, the potential, I would say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like endless, the, the potential. The, there's one thing I, I didn't get to mention when we talked about armor that I would love to actually address because many women will be like, no, I'm not numb. So I don't have that kind of armor and I don't have pain. Oh, I don't have armor. Perfect. Then I sometimes ask them, so if you are uh, sexually intimate with penetration, does it get boring within 5 to 15 minutes? A lot of women will be, yeah, you know, after 15, 10 minutes, you know, I, I do my little wiggle so we can get it over and done with. That is armor too. That is partial numbness, and a lot of women do not even know that. That boredom when you're being, you know, whether it's massaged, touched, or, or being, you know, intimate uh, physically, if you get bored after a short period of time, that is actually also armor because you're not receiving all the, the expanding pleasure signals. Your body is just not armored with numbness immediately. It just shuts down gradually after you start it. So, so a lot of women know that one that, oh yeah, it gets a little boring after five, 10, 15 minutes and that's partial numbness. And it's also, yes. armor. And, yeah, and, I, and it oh. can all come to life, like you said, and it's, mm. it's really just about addressing it, giving mm-hmm. attention mm-hmm. and staying with it and meeting it and touching it mm-hmm. softly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd love to touch on this phenomenon that you, that you, that you spoke of, um, that speaks to the desensitization, kind of the, the lack of stimulation, um, which is within clients where there is a physiologically um, noticeable response to stimulation. So physiologically, there's a healthy response, but they are not giving themselves permission mm-hmm. to register the arousal and pleasure. Yeah. And um, 
you know, in some clients, it'll be like overcoming childhood shame. And then it's like, you know, I had one client say, oh, I just felt my father leave the room. And then the pleasure started coming. Um, or, you know, other clients where it seems like it's um, kind of allowing the energy to kind of open, reopen the channels. And then the, the, the arousal pleasure response will connect like in the synapses of the brain. But can you speak to this phenomenon? Because I know you've seen it quite a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's really about this internal capacity of sensing yourself. Because when, when we are touching and we're seeing, well, physiologically it's responding, but it's responding due to some touch we have. But internally, the person is not connected. And, and that is really the neuron pathway between your, your conscious awareness, your brain, and the actual tissue that's disconnected. And like you said, shame is a big one. Lots of various cultural things, you know, what kind of culture, religious things uh, can also be, be you know, um, and why you are not allowed. Uh, mm-hmm. But also... Um, it can also be a um, what's that called? I'm trying to find the English word here. Conviction. Mm. That mm. that is the reason you can't feel something because maybe you were brought up with very strict parents where no fun until you've done all your chores and all your homework. Mm. And especially when we talk about sensitivity in the genitals inside, for most. It's linked to sensitivity is linked to then I can feel my pleasure. Mm-hmm. But for instance, if you were brought up with you don't get out, have fun and play until you did all your chores and all the things that were on your list. And most adults have a list that will never empty out in a day because it's long enough for, you know, <laughs> yes, a long yes. time. That's right. And, and if you have that really strong built into your system, you are incapable of giving yourself permission to explore pleasure because you still haven't done your chores. Mm-hmm. So, so there's so many aspects to look into. Some of them are more cognitive. Am I even allowed to feel pleasure or, or, or do I have to perform first? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of them. Yes. The other one, like you said, is the shame or like there's family members watching me uh, energetically and they need to, to clear the space before I can actually be with my own body. Mm-hmm. Uh, fear is also one uh, fear of what other people would think about you sure uh, and that sometimes is a fear that wasn't there when they were small but it came there when they were teenagers having their first explorations within you know sensuality sexuality and typically exploring with another one who is just as insecure, not knowing what's up and down and right and wrong. And sometimes that other one has been responding to your maybe very expressive uh, body language with, what are you doing? Where you feel like, oh, this is wrong. So there can be many, many aspects to, to why it is that we can't feel it. But one yes. of the, the aspects that I typically do when, when I, or, or the things I, I start practicing is to, you know, have the client work with themselves and then start doing this little practice of um, sensing their tissue with a finger. So now it's my hand exploring, and that could be externally, but if they're internally, then the finger is exploring the walls of the vagina, maybe the cervix, if they can reach it. 
maybe the G-pad. But then after a while, I tell them, okay, hold your finger still. Now have your tissue feel the finger. Mm-hmm. And there you can often see, can they or can't they? So you can get a sense here of whether or not their internal sensations are there or not. This is also linked to what is called um, uh, the, the oh, my English is failing me right now. Uh, when you have sort of uh, the primary uh, root of, or the first root of, of pleasure, which is the direct root of pleasure, that's an in- internal experience of what goes on in my body. And then you have the indirect root of pleasure, which is uh, where you need something else to give you permission to experience it. And that is often what's involved with when we have this kind of, I, I can't sense it, that, that this uh, direct root of pleasure connection has been distorted somewhere down the path. And every newborn baby is born with that one intact. The capacity mm-hmm. of feeling pleasure in their blood, body and feeling bliss. I mean, if you massage a little baby, they're just going to be, you know, enjoying it. No shame, no holding back. But then life comes in with our, you know, upbringing or shaming, people ridiculing us, whatever happened, culture, um, all these things that then gradually makes us cut off this ability of actually sensing the direct root of pleasure and now we start needing an excuse and that excuse could be have you cleaned up your room and done all your chores or it could be i can only enjoy um sensations if it's being done to me i sometimes meet women that come to me and say i don't get it you know if if my partner is 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 pleasuring me with his hands or with his mouth Oh, I get the most beautiful orgasms, but I've never been able to masturbate and get an orgasm on my own. Mm-hmm. Here you have a classical one. I can't do it to myself because I'm not allowed. I need an external reason for it to be okay. But that one is very important in this one. Yeah, yeah. So it's really about permission and for our listeners to really investigate the degree to which we do give ourselves permission and where that might have been, um, where that contraction may have been formed. It could have mm-hmm. been, you know, being caught uh, self-masturbating for the first time by a parent and being yelled at. Mm-hmm. Or it could have been, you know, a, a, an older sibling or a relative who's being judged for, for being too sexual or promiscuous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or as you're saying, you know, we can have it done to us, but to do it to ourselves is a whole other realm. So to really inquire within your body and your kind of, uh, yeah, your journey, where that mm. where that permission may have gotten stuck. If you are, for instance, a, a client and, and you don't feel anything, then, you know, the, the job is to, or, or the, not the job, the journey is to, to really start touching and then, you know, sit with it. I can't feel anything. And then, you know, the next thing that might arise is frustration. Okay, then you sit with the frustration, I can't feel anything. And maybe after the frustration, the sadness comes, I can't feel anything. So you sit through all emotions because what you're doing now is you're giving permission. Mm -hmm. 
But very often when we start a journey like this, if it's a woman coming, because I want to be able to feel pleasure and I want to be able to do it myself. And then she starts touching, but I don't feel pleasure. She gets frustrated and see it's not working. But this is the journey towards pleasure because the journey towards pleasure means can I give myself permission to feel what's alive right now? Mm. So when you start the healing journey of this, in the beginning, what's alive is I can't feel anything. Okay, sit with that one. And then the next feeling that might come underneath, sit with that one. Because every time you give permission, then it can transform into the next little thing, the next little thing, the next little thing. And gradually you'll start to realize, oh, now it doesn't feel as numb anymore. Okay, mm -hmm. sit with this. So it's very much about the this compassionate allowing and being with what is. That is actually the permission giving that is needed to end up having full resensitization at some point. Yes. Yes, I love that. Being with what is. Yeah. And again, meeting the tissues where they feel safe and ready to be met and allowing whatever story, even if it's boredom or frustration, yeah. to be felt, to be told, to be expressed. And, and especially frustration, because if you sit and hold onto a tissue that's numb and you get frustrated, mm -hmm. first of all, you probably get frustrated with yourself in many other situations of your life, meaning you're not very loving towards yourself. So this practice is also a practice in self-love. Can I sit with this and not get frustrated, not get angry? And if I get frustrated, can I even have compassion for the frustrated side of me? Yes. But also at the same time, remember that when we get frustrated, that actually this numb tissue or oversensitive tissue that's causing me pain is not trying to harm me. That tissue is doing what it's doing in an attempt to keep me safe. Because it was created at some point in our life where we needed either something to stay away, then pain is a good way for us to stay away from something, or something we couldn't stay away from because it kept happening and it was so uncomfortable every time it happened. So our body helped us and say, you know what, I'm going to help you. I'm going to make you numb when it happens so you don't have to suffer through it. So whether we're dealing with armor that is numbness or armor that is, is uh, hypersensitivity, it's your body that at some point was doing its very best to protect you, to actually serve you. And now when we want to tell this armor, hey, you know, I don't need your service anymore, then it's very important, at least this is my view, to not come at it with this anger and just get out and go away because you know no you know th this this is a part of you that's been trying to look out for you so now we need to get this part to understand that we appreciate what you've been doing up till now but your service is no longer needed you can you know you can relax and then we can allow the body to restore again so that yeah, it I comes like from this point of gratitude actually Yes. Yeah, I feel like this is such an important point, Suzanne, because the body is infinitely wise in knowing what it needs to survive and to protect itself. So there was a reason for the tissues and the armor to form in order to survive certain situations. And this actually occurs, you know, especially in incidences of trauma, when we dissociate or leave the body, it would be too overwhelming to bear that experience so the nervous system is really doing what it it needs to to survive and 
I think it's especially important because I feel like there's something in our culture where I feel like if there is a lack of sensation or numbness, especially in sexuality, people want to go harder or faster or, and it's the opposite that's needed. Just as you're saying, there needs to be a safe space for listening and just being with and meeting the tissues with the safe space. I I have a motto in my company, which is less is more and slow is the fastest way. Mm, That's mm -hmm. actually my motto. And that's what I work after. And, 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 like I said, slow is really the fastest way because it's always only in the beginning we have to be slow because by being slow, by being compassionate and patient and loving and and just inviting and accepting the body for what, where it is and what it is at this moment, that builds trust. And when the body starts trusting, then suddenly the body starts pulling me and saying, hey, let's go to this edge here and jump together because I trust you. But as long as the body is not trusting, it, it will be me pushing if I'm, you know, using the pushy type while the, the body is constantly trying to put in the brake because, oh, not too fast, not too fast, not too fast. So by being slow, you, you actually get this trust built. And, and the trust is not just between a client's body and me. It's actually also between the client's body and the client hers or himself. Because often our bodies don't even trust ourselves because we have overstepped our boundaries again and again. The body has been giving us sickness. Hey, don't do this. Oh, I don't like that. And we just move on with it. So when we finally start to enter a healing path, doing the right thing, you know, I, I think I understand why a body is a little like, can I trust in that? You know, because normally, you know, you know, every time I give you half a finger, you rip my whole hand with you. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause here and watch you and see if it's, if you really have that patience that you're sort of displaying right now. Is it true? So, the, so the body often do the same with the client. Sort of, you know, need to almost um, rebuild the the inner trust as well. Of Absolutely. you are listening now. You are seeing me. You are seeing my limitations, my boundaries, my borders. And and also my capacity, because that's us also often, you know, no, I can't do this. I can't do that. My body can't do that. And then you can work with the client. Suddenly they realize what a magnificent being that body is and all the things their body could that they never thought they would be able to experience. So it's, it's, it's also this journey of, of trust in self. Mm-hmm. I think that really uh, sums it up really nicely. You know, it is a journey of trust with the self, you know, re, re, um, reestablishing trust for the body to trust the, the, the owner of the body. Um, Suzanne, to wrap things up, is there a, um, uh, a somatic exercise you can, uh, share that can invite our listeners to explore a deeper connection with their own embodied sexuality? Uh, my my suggestion right here would actually be the one where we switch between the direct and the indirect uh, route of pleasure. Is it, you know, how sensitive is my body actually? Because most people are aware their hands are sensitive, but then they, you know, think that this was my body feeling and actually it was just still their finger feeling their body. So it could be placing the hands on the genitals somewhere. Uh, maybe with a little pressure with the fingertips on certain points. And then use the fingers to really feel the tissue, 
you know, and the fingers can be, you know, putting a little sort of pressure that releases and, and gives in to sort of say, okay, what does this tissue feel like? So all the attention is now in the fingertips, exploring the tissue. Do that for a few minutes. Get a good sense of what you're feeling. And then switch inward, like really put your attention inside, down through your heart, connect with your heart, move through your belly into your inside of your pelvis genital area, still having the hand connect, but now have the body feel what it feels like when the fingers touch. So you should have the same feeling like if it was a stranger's hand you were feeling. So now you disconnect from the hands from the outside and inside and play with this uh, switching because this switching is really important, especially if we want to increase our sexual pleasure, sexual experience, because if you cannot have internal experience, it's, it's not really going to give you much. So you need to awaken this side of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this is also a way to um, give agency to the tissues of the genitalia, so that they have a sense of ownership of what they want to, what they want to feel and touch as well, rather than just being on the receiving end. I, I would love to add a thing to it, and if if the ones doing this chooses to move the fingers around a bit, mm-hmm. then I would invite to really notice where. Where is my sensitivity different? Mm-hmm. So that they start realizing, oh, this part feels everything. This part just next to actually didn't feel as much. So that we, they start to build uh, this uh, inward awareness of what is my level of sensitivity? Where am I maybe hypersensitive? Where is there pain? Where is there numbness? Or simply just eh, a little boring, but I do mm-hmm. feel it. And where am I like, I know my finger is touching something, but from the inside, I actually can't feel my finger. Because that's Mm -hmm. also when you do the internal, you might notice with your finger, I'm touching something. But when you're trying to feel the finger, you're like, "Mm -mm, the inside can't feel the finger. Then you just found the numbness area. Yes. Or you notice, I can feel the finger, but I cannot say if the finger is on my perineum or in my Mm. groin where mm. you can't locate it because that's mm-hmm. also then you're also partly numb because you cannot you know you don't have clear sense of where you're being touched. Mhm. That sounds wonderful. Um so Suzanne um uh thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your wisdom and really for the work that you are doing in the world. Mm. Um the Gaia method um offers retreats really all over the world. Uh, you can find the work of Suzanne and Adam, her beloved, at thegaiamethod.com. That's the-gaia, G-A-I-A, dash, method.com. And I'll have that in the show notes as well. Mm. And um, Suzanne, you've been offering virtual um, guided self-de-armoring for women. Yes. Uh, I have a closed uh, Facebook group. Uh, for women only so men is not allowed in there Mm -hmm. Uh, and there are women from all over the world by now in this group um, where I normally will post uh, upcoming dates for when I will offer these uh, guided online sessions Mm -hmm. and uh, the way they are charged is that it's on donation basis so anyone uh, can attend no matter the size of their wallet 
That's great. That's so wonderful. Well, thanks again, Suzanne. It's good to see you. It's always great to see you. And I look forward to seeing you in person sometime whenever we get a chance soon. (laughs) Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. Notice how this exploration with Suzanne is landing in your body and whether your body may be inviting a deeper exploration of any stories it may be ready and wanting to share with you. An announcement about an upcoming retreat, Sexual Healing with Mother Earth in Costa Rica, exploring the intersection of sexual healing, plant medicines, and ecosexuality. The space is being organized, curated, and held by myself, Dr. Jennifer Lang, holistic gynecologist and MAPS psychedelic integration specialist, Suzanne Ruskard, creator of the Gaia Method and somatic sexologist, Kate Pearl, bodywork intuitive and psychedelics researcher, and Salome Tabrizi, psychedelics facilitator, integration specialist, and clinical counselor. If you're a practitioner holding space for plant medicine journeys, and or sexological bodywork, and you're interested in participating, please email me at rahi at somaticsexualwholeness.com or visit somaticsexualwholeness.mykajabi.com forward slash Costa Rica. Until next time, take good care.